This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. I was told that the first thing I have to say today is Happy Valentine's Day. So I will say it, but that's the last time I mention it. <laughs> happy <laughs> Valentine's Day, Tash, and to everyone else. I hope you've had a wonderful morning thus far, even though it's just begun. But indeed, it is Thursday, the 14th of February, 2019. Welcome to it. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Good morning, Tash. Good morning, and as a gift to you for this Valentine's Day morning, uh, ESCOM is on stage two. Yeah, day five now of load shedding, and uh, this time around, it is indeed stage two load shedding, so please do check up on those schedules and make sure you've planned your day ahead as well uh, and have uh, the right schedule for yourself, whether it be for cooking or other things as well. So let's check up on what's going on um, today. We're going to be talking a little bit just about why that debt-to-GDP ratio is the number to look out for in that budget. Um, it has become quite interesting. It was the uh, the significant number that uh, ratings agencies looked at as well last time around. And perhaps even this time, you might want to take a look at that and just see why it's so important. We'll chat about that around 20 past 7. And yesterday, President Cyril Ramaphosa signed the uh, Competition Amendment Bill into law in Cape Town. Of course, we know the aim of the bill is adopted, uh, as it was adopted by Parliament late last year, includes giving competition authorities and the government more power to tackle high level, uh, rather high levels of economic concentration. So we'll speak to Union Federation Kasatu about that. Yeah. Uh, And then we'll also talk to our, of course, every Thursday, Cappuccino with the CEO. This time around, it's with Margaret Hirsch, the co-founder and COO of Hirsch's. We'll chat to her about the start of the business, how it's gone on to become uh, a big and massive retailer, just how big they're looking to become as well uh, as they head further into that business. Any struggles, anything she's gone through that indeed have changed the way they've done business. We'll talk about that and a whole lot of other things as well. Consumers driving digital disruption and life insurance as well. Of course, the ESCOM issue, markets, all that and a whole lot more coming through before 8 o'clock. Let's get into it. This is your Thursday edition of Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. It's five minutes after seven. A quick check-in on the markets. High-level trade talks between the U.S. and China are underway in Beijing. Stocks in Asia traded cautiously as investors looked for progress in the months-long dispute. The mainland Chinese markets were mixed in early trade. The Shanghai Composite slipped fractionally, while the Shenzhen component was slightly higher. Meanwhile, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell uh, 0.4%. The Nikkei rose a tenth of percent. And over on Wall Street side, the Dow Jones climbed 117 points to 25,543. Yesterday marked the Dow's second straight day of gains. The S&P 500 gained 0.3% led by gains in the industrials and energy sectors. The Nasdaq uh, Composite advanced marginally to 7,420. The FTSE 100 gained 8 tenths of percent. The French French CAC up 6 tenths of percent and the German DAX up half a percent. Over here though, all share index gained 1% 1% to 54,543 points and the top 40 up 1.2%. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. 
Well, Chris Gilmore, independent analyst, joining us in studios uh, this morning as we unpack that market picture. As Tash said, uh, an uptick there for the JSC. A lot of those diversified miners seemingly doing well. The likes of Glencore, 3.4%, uh, Anglo-American, 3.3% as well. Um, where do we attest this all to? They've become leaner and meaner, I suppose, as businesses because of uh, the fall in, in, in prices and they've tried to find ways to mitigate costs. Do we attest all these, uh, perhaps a possible gain for the remainder of this year and yesterday's gains to that now? It's starting to perhaps pick up for them? Yeah, Billy, I think you're right. Uh, that, that's part of the, the reason. And, you know, many of these companies have operations outside of South Africa, so they don't have the, the kind of problems that, uh, they, that, that you have with, with load shedding and stuff like that and the, and the high input costs. So, yes, you're quite right. Quite a few years ago, you know, they got a bit of a fright, and uh, they, they really got uh, very, very streamlined. You know, you, you mentioned Glencore, for example. It's not so long ago that that share price was down below, what, 17 rands or thereabouts. So, you know, they, they've done um, exceptionally well in streamlining themselves. They, they've got a few court battles ahead, I, I suspect. But uh, be that as it may, um, the, the, these uh, most, most of the results we've seen coming out of the miners in the past week or so have actually been very, very good indeed. Interesting, we've got Goldfields tomorrow. That'll be fascinating mm-hmm. to see what, uh, what, what the, the real state of play is at South Deep. So um, in, in a market like this, where the South Africa Inc. stocks, and I'm talking here about the retailers particularly, but not just them, the construction stocks. I mean, this is a wipeout that I've never seen before. Um, where, where you've got that, <laughs> it's a little uh, ray of sunshine. And we must be eternally grateful for, 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 for this and enjoy it while it lasts, because it, because it may not last for too long. How's the uh, power outages been affecting you, Chris? Yeah, well, they really are an extreme irritation. You know, I've I've got a big inverter and uh, deep cycle batteries at home, so it, it's not really a problem. It, it, the, the biggest problem is um, is physically getting out of the suburb on occasion, mm. and, um, and the, the traffic has been absolutely horrendous, with absolutely no thought put into into directing the traffic uh, whatsoever. It brings back memories of two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, when. Um, you know, we first had the the kind of uh, load shedding that we're experiencing now, uh, and that was mainly due to a, a lack of coal, wet coal, all this kind of stuff. Now we've got a very, very serious situation where the utility appears to be broken in, in, a, in a really bad, bad way. And, and, and you know, we're, we're only now starting to appreciate the depths of the, the, the destruction, and I can only use that term, at Eskom. I think while a lot of people are looking around for spooks, for, for conspiracy theories and stuff like that, I think we have to look, at, uh, look to the, the likes of experts like Chris Yelland and Anton Eberhard, who are putting a, a far more um, practical uh, spin on things and saying, look, you know, these, these generators are tripping because they just haven't been maintained. I mean, I mentioned 2007, 2008. That was 10 years ago. The average age of the, of the fleet is now 37 years. You've got the, 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 the great hopes of Madupe and Kusile, uh, which uh, really aren't working properly. And they're flawed. Massive buildups of ash, which is terribly abrasive, um, not working properly, getting tripped at the slightest thing. Thank goodness for the, um, the team at head office that, that keeps the... Um, keeps the, 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 the plants up and running. Because, you know, if you didn't have this load shedding, and if you, and we had, what, uh, stage four, uh, which is effectively stage three and a half, um, because they, they changed the way they do things. There was an ex- excellent article by Hilton Tarrant in, in MoneyWeb the other day to explaining what was going on. 
Um, but if you didn't have that and, and go, going beyond those kind of stages, when you get these severe trips, then you, there's always the possibility, however remote, that the entire system could go down. And even with the ability to use things like Ingula pump, pump storage to, to, to initiate a black start, um, it would still take two to three weeks uh, probably to bring the whole system back up again. And you really don't want to go and test that hypothesis. I mean, they're burning, they're burning right through their diesel deposits as well because that's you know, sort of what they're trying to keep uh, alive then for their power generation too. So it certainly isn't helping. Uh, uh, Pravin Gordon, the public enterprises minister, saying that culprits who made ESCOM the way it is right now are certainly going to pay. We've heard that rhetoric before. So, you know, I, I don't know how much faith we attest to that. Um, but uh, he's also mentioned that just because we've split up ESCOM into the three entities doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be privatizing. There aren't no plans to privatize ESCOM. Your sentiments around that? Well, um, <laughs> who am I to disagree with the minister? <laughs> um, yes, of course, that is the kind of political rhetoric that is going to be doing the rounds now, particularly, especially as, as organizations like Casato are saying, uh, no, no, we're not going to have any privatization and stuff like that. Mm. And even within the ANC, they're even loath to, to countenance uh, as a splitting up, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Eskom has actually, been, on a reporting basis, has been split up into those three uh, areas for, 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 for many, many years. Um, look, depending on the grand plan for, um, for funding Eskom, I think some degree of privatization, partial or otherwise, has to be countenanced. Some degree of cost-cutting, well, a severe amount of cost-cutting, has to be countenanced. When you come out with a press statement, regardless of whether it was, it was withdrawn later in the day, that says, and I quote, uh, Eskom is technically insolvent and will cease to exist in, in February, in, in, um, in April, in April yeah. then you know, that has to start con- concentrating people's Jeez. minds along the, the lines of perhaps, maybe, if we actually want to keep the lights on, uh, can we perhaps consider some degree of privatization? And, you know, it's the devil's own job trying to get um, all the various constituencies together to, to look at this. I mean, we're so far behind the, um, the curve uh, globally. I mean, this should have been done years and years and years ago because, frankly, we've run out of money, we've run out of ideas, and uh, by, by Praveen's own admission, we've run out of experts to actually run the utility now. We're having to look overseas to find them. Um, so, you know, the, the old adage, when you're up, when you're up to your necks, you, you could use a, a cruder uh, adage, when you're up to your necks uh, in, in crocodiles, uh, there's no point in musing that your first uh, uh, job was to drain the swamp. You know, you've got to get down and actually look at, at, uh, at what needs to be done, and got to, you've got to be pragmatic about it. Now, if that means privatization, well, I think they're going to have to look at it. I didn't know that saying had uh, had a way of removing expletives, but you've you've done a good a good. Well, job I said next rather than something else. <laughs> yes. Okay, so very quickly, just on earnings as well, we did touch on it yesterday, but very quickly, your thoughts as well. Kiro finally declaring a dividend as well. This comes firmly after Stadio was, of course, uh, split off from that company, and and very finally as well, Sassel, uh, that share price going up as well. Looks like. Things are going better in the in the United States. Yeah, I went to the Kuro presentation yesterday, and it was a, again it was a, a really thorough and comprehensive presentation. Um, you know, it's it's still difficult to value this company properly, uh, although there are many ways of doing it. You know, um, looking at uh, at EBITDA as the as the and they still have uh, their targets set on getting two hundred schools by um, by twenty twenty. Um, 
it's 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 incredible. You know, parents will do whatever is necessary to give their children a decent education. Mm. And you look at the the variety of schools within that Kuro stable. It's really quite phenomenal. So um, they've got many initiatives. They've got they've got a school in Soweto and Protea Glen. They're they're looking at the possibility of uh, putting something in the, the, the Johannesburg CBD. They've got one in Cape Town, for example. So it's a marvelously innovative company. Um, some, uh, some observers have said, well, the fact that they're paying a dividend, does that mean they're coming to, to maturity? Um, I think they're getting closer to maturity. It's not there yet. I still think there's a lot of growth there yet. The problem is with, is, has always been with the share price. And if you bought uh, Kuro a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I think you're going to be sadly disappointed because it's been in a pretty much a, a, a downwards uh, trend. But I think for the very long term, it's still a, a great thing to be in. Mm. As far as Sassel's concerned, yeah, you know, don't forget that uh, the, the, the current share price of Sassel is pretty much where it was 10 years ago. So, yes, things are looking better. Lake Charles is, is looking better. But, you know, it's going to be a long haul for Sassel. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Chris Gilmore still joining us in Studio Independent Analyst there, taking a look at that market picture. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. It's 15 minutes after 7. President Cyril Ramaphosa signed the Competition Amendment Bill into law in Cape Town. The aim of the bill, which was adopted by Parliament late last year, includes giving the competition authorities and the government more power to tackle high levels of economic concentration. And to share his thoughts on the bill is uh, Tony Ehrenreich, who is the Deputy Parliamentary Office Coordinator at Kasatu. Tony, thank you so much for your time. What are your thoughts on, uh, on the bill? Well, we welcome the ball because for too long the economy has been incredibly concentrated. This is the life of economic growth with black competitors from entering large sections of the market, and it's had a negative effect on pricing. And so we think now with the signing of the bill and it's coming into effect, we're going to see more competition that will lead to growth and hopefully the jobs that will go along with that. So we're very pleased both with the bill and with the fact that it's coming into law now. We were concerned because there was extensive discussion that made like around the pole with many areas of business. And while business was in the discussions trying to secure really the status quo, when they could not achieve that in discussions that included the minister, they then really did not participate and did not want to sign off on the areas of consensus that we thought we had. This is just symptomatic of the fact that businesses in South Africa has really had pretty much as it has been under apartheid in respect of the dominance and the places that they have in the market and that they don't want to see that changing and don't want to see the economy opening up. But we certainly as decided to welcome it. Right. You mentioned that uh, it'll spur much-needed economic growth. Outside of the bill, uh, from your perspective, what are some of the low-hanging fruits that uh, the president and various uh, departments can tackle in order to drive that economic growth that we need? Well, for one, we're going to see prices coming down that free up greater amounts of money to be spent in other areas of the economy. So the the price setting of many of the larger companies that just forces their price onto whether it's suppliers in some instances or retailers in other instances because of the dominant role that many companies have, that would have to change with the changes in the bill. The commission has the power to investigate those things and to make findings, recommendations on how that should change. So immediately with the reduction of prices, 
we'll see more money being freed up. We should see the environment in South Africa being much more conducive for foreign investors because with the economy being so concentrated, it was very difficult for foreign investors to come in because of the way the market had been structured. These changes will promote foreign direct investment and it will have the effect of us being able to have the benefit of jobs that come along with that foreign investment and new technology and lower prices. Tony, I know this is, uh, you know, moving away a bit from the conversation of the competition bill, but uh, your thoughts with regards to the ESCOM situation? I mean, you're talking about getting investors to come in and invest in our economy. What's the most concerning thing for you right now as you look at all the news surrounding the ESCOM load shedding? Well, the main thing is the inconsistency in supply. This too is going to have a detrimental effect on anybody making a decision to invest in South Africa. Most areas of investment require consistency and affordable and reliable energy supply. With the state that ESCOM is in now, they're unable to guarantee that. So they're really undermining all of the efforts that President Cyril Ramaphosa has been putting in place on generating foreign investment for the economy. Tony, we seem to have lost you there, uh, but that is Tony Ehrenweg, who's the Deputy Parliamentary Office Coordinator at Kosatu, giving us his thoughts on the signing of the Competition Amendment Bill, which took place uh, yesterday in Cape Town. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Now, in October last year, there were specula- there was a sense of speculation, particularly by the National Planning Commission, that South Africa may be driven to the International Monetary Fund if its rising debt goes unchecked without the buffer of savings or new sources of tax revenue and the like as well. That was almost put to bed somewhat as we went to budget. The picture wasn't rosy, but it was certainly uh, one that perhaps affirmed that we didn't necessarily have to go to the IMF. Of course, IMF chief Christine Lagarde also then came to South Africa, uh, and she said that she doesn't think that South Africa necessarily requires the assistance, but is always willing to engage. They haven't had any word from South Africa with regards to any form of financial assistance. But with that in mind, the most significant figures we head to budget day next week uh, on the 20th of February, the key question becomes, what does our debt metrics look look like? Our debt to GDP is expected to at least peak at around 56% in 2023 odd, and then perhaps moderate uh, a little bit from there. But it will be significant now to note just what it goes to. And this is perhaps why Tertius Truist, who is a tax manager at Mazars, joins us on the line. Tertius, thank you so much for your time this morning. Let's talk about the significance of this figure and what it actually tells us if uh, if we were to highlight that debt-to-GDP number. Good morning, Arabile, and thanks for having me. Yes, this is a, a, a number that should be closely watched by the public. It actually tells a very interesting story, and it's, it's also something that the rating agencies definitely look at. Um, so if, if we just go back to, to, to the amount of, of budget speeches we've had over, over, over the past few years, we've had three different finance ministers each trying to address our fiscal situation in South Africa, and each one making use of different tactics. And this has a tremendous effect on our debt-to-GDP ratio. 
And I suppose then if we were to look at the trajectory that it's taken, particularly over the last four or so years, from tw- four or five years, 2013, sitting at around 40% to firmly above 50% and close to 55% even in 2018, that's been absolutely massive. That just shows you what, you know, the de- deterioration of South Africa's economy and how we've been funding um, all our needs here. Do Is there sort of... And uh, you know, uh, um, a positive end in sight to all of this. Do you think? Yeah. So, like I said, I think it. I think it tells an interesting story. And you, and you're alluding to the fact that it's that it's that it started at about forty percent, and 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 it's based on the midterm budget speech that Titan Boweni um, issued us in October. It, it it said to to peak at about fifty six and come down to fifty five percent in about twenty twenty five. But if we just look back at where where, where it's come from. Um, back in back when when uh, Minister Pravin Gordon was still the finance minister, um, he he put certain certain uh, tax uh, effects in place in order to keep this this level uh, the debt to GDP ratio quite stable. And he he introduced a super tax bracket and 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 increased the dividends withholding tax. After him, we 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 had um, we we saw um, a, a different approach by by Malusi Gigaba was under pressure not to increase the VAT rate. And therefore, when, once we were in a position of back in, back in March 2017, when we, when we had about a 50 billion rand tax shortfall, he was looking to increase the debt level, and that would skyrocket to about 63.3% in about 2025. Now, what we've seen is we've seen the increase in the VAT rate, and that helped us to, to nullify the, the effect of this increase in the, in the debt-to-GDP ratio. But then once again, what we saw in, in October last, last year by, by Tito Mboweni was the fact that the, the, the VAT increase actually didn't take place due to the fact that certain VAT refunds were withheld. And then he took the approach again to increase our debt to, to, to predict to increase our debt-to-GDP ratio to once again peak just shy of 60%. And this is a figure that I think is very important to watch for the upcoming um, budget speech in, on, in, in about just less than a week's time. But when compared to, you know, on a global perspective here, our our debt to GDP ratio isn't necessarily that bad. I mean, you have, you know, more Asian countries like the likes of Japan as well, petering well beyond 100 percent of their debt to GDP ratio. So it, it, it isn't bad in the context of the global scale, but it is bad in terms of our own metrics. Let's explain why, you know, we consider it bad at the stage we're at. Well, if you look at, at, at certain of those, of those countries with, with, with these high debt to debt GDP ratios or, or, or those that are actually similar, similar to us, they are growing at a rate exceeding 5%, where South Africa is sitting in a position where we're looking to, the analysts are predicting that we're growing in 2019 in a figure between 13 and 1.7%. So in other words, those countries can easily manage this sort of debt where South Africa is, is sitting in a position where it's a possibility that if we don't grow the economy enough, that we're going to struggle to start repaying this debt. And to, to, that goes together with this debt is obviously we have an, a, a possible issue of rating agencies looking at our credit rating. If, if, if they were to downgrade us, our, our, our interest would, would skyrocket the, the, the rates that we are lending money at. And once again, that puts us in a very difficult position. And that's the, the, that's why it's not only uh, it's not only uh, Treasury looking at this, but also the rating agencies. 
Yeah, just to make note of some of the uh, ones to look out for, Japan around 250%, Greece is sitting at around 178%, uh, the likes of Portugal as well, 125% there. The United States is just above 100% at 105%, um, the likes of Egypt as well, 101 Spain 98%, so quite interesting to make note of some of the countries that indeed are uh, or indeed do have uh, um, debt-to-GDP ratios higher than South Africa's. Uh, that is just, let's, let's just talk very quickly then about you know, any other final expectations you may have for this budget. What is your perhaps biggest hope uh, to come out of this budget from, from uh, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni? Well, the two things I, I think need to be addressed is, is firstly the, the matter with regards to uh, the, the SARS commissioner. I think the, the timelines need to be set in place of when we can expect to have uh, a final recommendation and a final appointment of, of a commissioner. And furthermore, it's something else that needs to be addressed is our, our state-owned entities, entities, especially ESCOM, which we all um, are aware of with the current load shedding. Furthermore, um, the, the predictions, I, I don't expect much with regards to um, in, or, uh, tax rate increases or decreases. I think it will be quite a boring budget in that case. Um, since we are in election year and it, and they don't want to, um, the ruling party wouldn't want to make um, uh, too much trouble with regards to rate increases. Tarshish Thuris, thank you so much for your time this morning. Tax manager at Mazars, as we chat about what to expect in that budget speech by Finance Minister Titombo, when it will be his first budget speech. Of course, he did deliver the, uh, the, the, the uh, midterm budget speech as well last year, but this time around, is really pertinent as to what he cuts out, what he puts money towards, and what exactly is going to happen with things like ESCOM, especially since it's been split up, and how then do you uh, give it some money, which it will certainly need, uh, no matter what the case is then, in order to move forward. It's 7.30. Let's check out your news headlines. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. At 7.31, the buying preferences of consumers continues to change and traditional life insurance providers are battling to keep up with the pace of change in consumer behavior. Liam Bromfield, who is the chief executive of F&B Life, joins us on the line to talk to us about the trend scene in the life insurance industry. Lee, thank you so much uh, for your time. Let's talk about why you believe that consumers are driving the digital disruption in life insurance. Morning, Sasha. I think it's uh, really what customers prefer. You know, gone are the days where you know it takes forever to get a life insurance uh, policy and you have to set up appointments and everything else. People want to be able to do it at home, do it on the comfort of their couch, you know, and be able to get it wherever they feel it's convenient to do so. Right. And in some of the trends that you're picking up? Yeah, so what's uh, quite interesting for us is that our app, um, quotes are much bigger than our online quotes. So it just shows you that people are preferring to do this uh, sort of activity on their phones as opposed to the traditional desktops, which we found quite interesting. And we're uh, finding almost half of our quotes are done after hours. And, um, you know, so it's people sitting on the couches at night um, and going through and going through the processes on that side. So it just shows you that once you put these options out for, for consumers, they really do love them and they really do take them up.
But perhaps you could take us through some of the trends that's driving, uh, you know, this digital mm. disruption. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I suppose, a do-it-yourself culture and perhaps yeah. even uh, putting things that deal with value for money as well. Yeah, uh, there's quite a few things on that side. So one of the, the big ones is um, obviously value for money. You know, we can distribute policies much cheaper on digital platforms. So I think customers can get really good deals uh, taking up life insurance and we see the value in that. Um, the other big one is, um, you know, smartphone uh, adoption. You know, those uh, numbers have been rising consistently for a long time in the country. So that's helping uh, people be able to do that on their app and be able to do it from the comfort of their home. And people are just getting more comfortable with doing things by themselves. You know, um, I always use the example of uh, using Google Maps. You know, it was 10 years ago where people weren't even using GPSs. Now people trust Google Maps to get them to where they want to go. I think um, financial services is going to hit that way too. How difficult or easy is it for someone in your position as the CEO of F&B Life to constantly stay innovating when there is so much competition out there, especially from the fintechs as well? Look, uh, we're trying to restructure ourselves to, to be a lot more uh, nimble as a, as a business, you know, and trying to actually stay on the forefront of technology. I think the the hard thing is is trying to pick what you think are the right trends to follow or not because there's always something new or something that someone's talking about and if you keep changing everything flashing and you you must probably never actually master anything and execute on anything so I think as a CEO you need to be able to know what's out there have a nimble team to execute but make most importantly make sure you pick the right things to do are there any opportunities that you're seeing in terms of where innovation is going, uh, perhaps even if you're getting your inspiration from the U.S. and what Silicon Valley is putting together? Well, this might sound a bit controversial, but uh, a lot of the stuff that's coming out of the, the U.S. Um, is very much designed for, for the U.S. And the U.S. has um, quite a complex financial services system. The, the best places to look, in my mind, are actually towards you know, the east and some of the the companies coming out of uh, China. Now, there's a, there's a few companies in China which have got really strong digital presence and a very strong innovation culture. Uh, one company that we're reading about were selling as many as a million policies a day on their platforms. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Lee. That's Lee Bromfield, who's the CEO of FNB Life, talking to us about how consumers are driving digital disruption in life insurance. Arabile, in terms of Tinder, have you been on it? Have you used it before? No. No, I can safely say no. <laughs> no. Well, there is a Tinder-inspired app that is helping farmers match up potential partners for their cattle. So it's a Tinder for cows? Yes. It's called Tada. It's a mix of a dating app of Tinder and Ada. And it lets farmers swipe right. I thought on you the meant ca- like ta da, like the, <laughs> the, the short of da 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 da. So farmers can swipe right um, on their cattle if they like the look of it. And um, they are then directed to a page on the Sell My Livestock website where they can uh, browse more pictures and data about the animals before deciding whether to buy. So, how does the farmer then know what's the right cattle for his cattle? Well, I, I, I'm not quite sure how you would know that, but I'm assuming if you're a farmer, you the specifics, like in terms of Tinder, so you put up a picture. If you like the picture, you can look at the information about the person um, in terms of 
what they do for a living, what they like, mm. etc. So I'm assuming with the cows, it works that way in terms of how much they weigh, are they healthy, um, what color, I don't know, those kinds so of things. So basically, it's, it's basically like, you know, when your parents decide to choose for you who you're going to marry? Yes. That's pretty much what this is. Pretty much. So um, okay. it's put together by Doug Boehner, CEO of Hec- um, Hector Agritech, which runs Sell My Stock and Graindex, which is a UK-based online agritech trading platform. So it launched just in time for Valentine's Day. <laughs> I wonder if uh, the cows are actually aware that it is Valentine's Day. Okay, interesting one there. I just thought I'd touch on some uh, market news as well, uh, some uh, some results news to have just come out. Ital Tal releasing their results for the six months. Uh, ended 31 December 2018, the big tile maker, of course, uh, saying that um, this is actually the group's 50th anniversary since it was founded in 1969. System-wide turnover, 5.3 billion rand. That's up 23% uh, from 4.3 billion in 2017 as well. Trading profit um, brings them up to 968 million, which is also up 35%, a massive uptick there. Earnings per share uh, or headline earnings per share is up 13% to 54.7 cents per share over there. Um, and uh, Itel Tal also saying some uh, some words there, saying that their retail operation is strategically supported by a vertically integrated supply chain. Not entirely sure what that means exactly, but they are saying that 2019 will be their 50th anniversary and hope to, to get even better profits. I have a cool there. fun fact. Cool, what's that? And it brings uh, Chris Gilmore into the picture. Do you remember your first purchase of Levi Strauss jeans? Can I say that I've never purchased a pair of Levi Strauss jeans? I've never owned one. <laughs> I, yeah, I always just look at them and go, oh, cute. Oh, cute. Okay. Uh, Chris? <laughs> Good God. Yeah, no, vividly. In the 1970s, 501s. <laughs> with a button fly. Please don't tell me you still have them. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're good. They last long, but not that long. <laughs> so, uh, Levi Strauss has filed to list on the stock exchange, a New York stock exchange that is after more than three decades, they are returning. And the company is set to be valued at $5 billion when it debuts. And uh, the company is 145 years old. So, they were on the New York stock yeah. exchange, delisted. And now plan to come back. Yes. Yeah. But that is, I think, in line with the other gene makers as well. They're also trying to list uh, on the stock exchange. Yeah. Do you know where the name Denim comes from? No. Serge de Nîmes in France. De Nîmes, Denim. Mm-hmm. That's where it comes from. So ah. wait, who is Serge de Nîmes? Serge, Serge just means cloth in French. Serge ah. from Nîmes. You know, the cloth from, from Nîmes in France. That's that. That was the derivation of the name. That's where, and it just got over the years. Um, they merged it into denim, denim, denim. Oh wow! You learn something new every day. Mm. Here's a question though for you with regards to this: Is this the right time to be listing? Um, is this the right market to be listing? Probably not. If you look at what's happening in the small cap arena, particularly, mm. I mean, you're you're seeing uh, so many companies just looking for the exits, and you ask yourself. Um, a question, well, you know, unless you're really going to be going for some, some crazy rights issues, uh, why on earth would you want to be listed? Mm. I mean, the market's going nowhere. So un- unless you perceive this to be the bottom, and it, look, who knows, it may be the bottom. 
Um, if history is anything to go by, you know, it may be the bottom. Then maybe the, the time to get in is now. I'm giving you a terribly, uh, <laughs> a terribly mixed message. Well, you started here. off with the answer um, and then gave. But yeah, I, I, I really don't think right now. Let let the dust settle. See where you where, where the market is is, is probably going. But, yeah. but but locally, yeah, not not when everyone else is looking for the exits. Okay. Well, interesting um, market there. Interesting fun fact there. Okay. All Good right. Stuff. Let's have a look at traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Cappuccino with the CEO. Okay, so let's get into our cappuccino with the CEO. This one should be very exciting. We're chatting about Hirsch's Home Stores. Well, that's kind of what it was called. It's not necessarily just that now, is it? But we have the co-founder and COO, Margaret Hirsch on the line. Margaret, really appreciate your time. I think you've become a household name, if, if, uh, if uh, you know, for lack of a better term there. But if I say to you, Umhlanga Rocks, 1979 in Durban, what comes up in your mind? Well, our little stop that was, uh, first of all, good morning and happy Valentine's Day. And to answer your question, uh, I think of our little shop, which was about as big as your toilet, it was so small that if people came in, we actually had to put the stuff outside on the pavement so we could let them in. And that's where we started with 900 rand, and we and that was on our first day. But it went very, very quickly because the first day we had to put a sign outside. We had to pay a lot to water and deposit, and we had to buy some stationery. And so the first day, our money was gone, and our first day's takings were 11 cents. Wow. So, you know, I always say to people, it doesn't matter where you start, so you decide you're going to finish. And today, you know, we're a multi-billion rand company. And I always say to people, I don't tell you that to impress you. I tell you to impress upon you that I can do it, you can do it. And if you just have the grit and the determination and the will to succeed, you can do it. Because um, I come out of a foster home with Luke Peter Marisburg. My husband was at Marisburg Tech only the past time seven. So it's not as if we came from wealthy parents and we had a great start. We had no start. But we had, a, we had a decision and a will to do better. And that's what I try and, and I work in the schools a lot with the children and say, you know, you can do this. So I want everyone who writes on their mirror, um, I am enough and you are enough and you can do anything and you can make money. This is a land of wealth and opportunity. And you have to know that it is possible to make a lot of money here. But you have to work. You can't just sit back and let it happen. It doesn't work like that. You've got to work hard every single day of your life. I'll be 70 next year. I started work when I was 12, washing hair in a hairdressing salon. And I've worked every day since, and I've got a lot to show for it, much more than if I'd sat at home doing nothing. Sure. Absolutely wonderful story. Well, that basically concludes it. No, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> that story is absolutely phenomenal, Margaret. And, you know, my, my, my question then is, you know, when you started out on that day, was the plan, I know, I know it's always, you know, an idea of, of a dream even, yeah. but was the plan really to turn out as big as this? Or, and even that, have you even reached, you know, the, 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 the ultimate goal for the plan? Yeah, no, look, we hadn't made, made a decision like that at all. I was working and, and we'd been married for five years. And when I got pregnant, my boss said to me two words, you're fired. So, and those were the days before the TCMA. I took my handbag, went home and had to start a business that very day because I had to put food on the table. And my husband, when I married him, he was earning 25 rand a week as a refrigeration technician. And he decided, and those were the old days of, you know, um, 1970. 
1972 when he got married, 1973, 1974 when Alan J. Holman started Glam and Dion Friedlander started Dion's and Tony Factor was big in Joburg and Alan came home and said, I want to start a discount store. And I said, don't be ridiculous. I mean, we haven't even got food on the table. And he said, I think I'm going to do it. And you know, sometimes you've just got to take that leap of faith. You've got to just, just take that dive into the unknown. And which we did. I mean, I had no option because I didn't have a job. And um, we went from having two jobs and no children to having two children and no job in the space of a year. So that was a great catapult to get you going in the right direction. And that's how we started. And we just had to go forward. We had no one to fall back on. We didn't have wealthy parents to support us. We just had to make sure each day that we had food on the table and a roof over our head. And that was our first um concerned when we started. We didn't think we were going to make money, we are going to have lots of branches, we are going to employ thousands of people. We just had to put food on the table, a roof over our head. But we plowed the money back into the business. Now, I think this is where most people go wrong. They see that money and they just want to spend it. You know, today, if you want to be successful, you've got to make money, but you've got to plow it back into your business. You've got to invest this and make that money grow for you. Mm. And if you do that, you'll definitely get ahead. And so you've taken, I mean, it's 40 years now since you've, you've essentially yeah. started the business and, you know, it's absolutely thriving. How much more do you want to get out of the business? And when I say more in terms of getting out of the business, you know, how big do you want it to become? Are there even plans of, who knows, maybe even listing if, if that was ever, you know, something you've thought about? Yeah, I don't think we're realistic because we're a family business and we like to keep it that way. It's a very, very strong, powerful family. And our family extends now to multiple other families because we employ thousands of people and all of their families work for us as well. We also, what we do is we start people up in their own businesses. For instance, all my drivers own their own trucks. And we help them to run their business successfully. My repair technicians, and we have lots of them. We repair air conditioners and fridges and stoves and washing machines. We've got gas installers, air conditioning installers. They all run their own businesses under our umbrella. And we make sure that their businesses are successful. We started our first businesses way back in 1994 when we didn't know what was going to happen to this country. And those businesses have thrived. And not only have they thrived, the children of those people are now working in those businesses. And they have jobs and they have successful businesses to run. So for us, um, the growth is not just our growing our own business, but growing a peripheral lot of other businesses around us. And we also have ladies' meetings, networking breakfasts and in our stores where we help other people to grow their businesses, even if they're not aligned to our business. So our, our passion at the moment is helping South Africans become entrepreneurs because I believe that the entrepreneurs of this country is going to make this country strong. So we're going to take this country away from all the nonsense of the big corporates and the little guy working hard and making a good living. That's going to be the strength of this country. Margaret, Nastasia here. I've got a question. So you've been describing to Arabile the early days of the business and uh, how mm. your husband came up with the idea like, hey, let's start a business. Mm. I wanted to mm. know, do you remember an instant or a moment where the two of you sat and reflected and you knew you were on the right track with this business as though everything was flowing and coming together? Do you remember that specific moment? Um, You know, we sort of worked on our goals. We wanted to buy a house. We wanted to buy a motor car. We wanted to buy our own bucky. And we went from goal to goal to goal. And I think that's how you get ahead. You you never reach the stage, oh, gosh, everything's going swimmingly now. What is our next goal? What are we going to do next? At the moment, my next goal is to buy another piece of another property in Cape Town and start another shop in Cape Town. So we literally went from goal to goal. We bought our first store. Um, we ran that one, and then we took over the old Neuron Gorn Pine Town, and we ran that, 
and it was successful. And then we opened in Broad Street, and then that was successful. And then we um, opened in Peter Marisburg, and that was successful for a while. And we closed it when it wasn't successful anymore. So it was just, and then we decided to go to Joburg. I mean, when you live in KZN, you go to Joburg, it's like going to Timbuktu. We went into the great unknown of Joburg, and we made it, and we were successful there in four ways. And then we said, let's, where else should we go? And we saw this place called Shubin's Valley, and we said, where's that? That's the first place they found gold in South Africa. Yo, that sounds good. So we opened a shop there. It wasn't that we actually sat down and thought everything's going swimming in. We literally went from goal to goal to goal. And to this day, we still set our goals every day. And we set goals for the day, the week, the month, the year, five years, and 10 years. So your next goal, what is that? My next goal is to buy a property in um, Main Road, Plumstead, in Cape Town, and to build a massive shop there, um, which we are still in negotiations. We've been in negotiations for three years to do that, but it's going to be a fantastic, almost like a shopping center, and that's going to revolutionize Cape Town. Um, you know, we're very successful in Milneton. We've got a beautiful shop in Somerset West, but I need to be in the middle of Cape Town, so that's my next goal. Margaret, and, you know, mm-hmm. sorry. No, you can continue. And then the other things, we do a lot of giving back. So my new thing is that I'm, I'm building safe houses for girls. We started in Joburg. I've just bought a 17-bedroom house where I, I give accommodation to girls who come to Joburg who don't have anywhere to live. And they can stay with me for free for three months so they can get on their feet and get themselves right. And we help them to find a flat. We help them to find a job. We help them to put them to university or whatever they want to do. So that's a big project of ours at the moment. We do a lot of giving back. And that is my project at the moment that I'm working to have safe houses for girls. Like the old YWCA that's not so strong anymore. Uh, where do girls go when they come to the city where they need a job? Where do you live? And you know you haven't got the money for the deposit for a flat or anything. So this is, I think, going to be something that's going to revolutionize things in Joburg. And it's going to make sure that the girls, when they come to Joburg, are not preyed upon by, by other people. And that they have a safe place to go where they know that they'll be safe and they've got time to save for their deposit for their flats, for their first month's rent, and for their life in water. Margaret, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, You are absolutely doing really good things. We do this thing uh, every time we have a cappuccino with the CEO. And uh, normally, I I must admit, I think over the past few weeks or few months or so, there have been mostly males doing the cappuccino with the CEO. And I'm absolutely happy to have a female do this. So Arabila is going to ask you questions that are sports related. Or you could answer. Oh, on be- <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, I promise, Margaret, it won't be too difficult. It's literally just about which teams you support uh, and, and, you know, your favorite sport and, and, and which way you're aligned with all these teams as well. So which would you say is a sport you would follow a little bit more than the others? Well, I'm a swimmer, so I've just done the mid-mile. So I love swimming and I do follow the swimmers. Wait, um, wait, my wait. husband is a cricket fanatic. So you, you just did the Midmore Mile again at the age of 70. Yeah, that's right, yes. So, Congratulations. Yeah, so, so you can do it any time. I, I must say, my, both my grandsons went far faster than me. My 11-year-old <laughs> finished in 34 minutes. So <laughs> I've got a way to go yet. But, um, yeah, so I, that's, that's my sport. But my husband's a cricket fanatic, so I've been all over the world with cricket. I don't oh, watch that exhausting. much cricket, but I do go all over the world with him watching cricket. Oh, that's and wonderful. Yeah. And my grandson support Arsenal, that I can tell you. They're, real, they're Arsenal fanatics. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, I, I don't think uh, your your grandchildren and I are going to mix. I'm a United fan, so that <laughs> might hurt a little bit. <laughs> but yeah. Alan, Alan's a Manchester United fan as well. So okay. You, you get on wrong with him. Yeah. There we go. That's going to work, certainly. 
Margaret, thank you so, so much for your time this morning. It really has been great having you on the show. Uh, you're absolutely wonderful. You're an inspiration to many. And I pray that the business continues to thrive and goes from strength to strength from here on in. And as you said at the beginning, happy Valentine's Day. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. All right, so it's 7.55. Before we close out the show, just some uh, other news as well, making headlines. Uh, Mobile giant Vodacom welcoming the government's decision to withdraw uh, the ECA, which was the Electronic Communications Amendment Bill. That bill was established uh, for, for, of course, you know, wireless open access network, which government had said was aimed at driving down communication costs or data costs. So the fees, the data must fall rather uh, um, uh, fight is one that uh, seems to have you know, sort of lost some sort of momentum with regards to this and Vodacom welcoming that bill. Would you not find it weird that a company like Vodacom would actually be the first to cry out and welcome this, you know, the the fall of this bill, if you want to call it that, for lack of a better term, uh, just because, you know, they, they need to be seen to, to be wanting to have data prices lower. And yet at this stage, they're saying to themselves, you know, current regulation allows for for things to go lower we don't have to have a, a, a new bill for this no look i think they, they they probably welcome it as 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 probably do mtn as well um because anything that frees up the market and gets more people actually using these um uh, the, the cell phones and, and and data and whatever um actually just just grows the market so i think um it's uh, you should see it as in the light of it this being an impediment and you're getting rid of that impediment and uh, freeing up the market, basically. Mm. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to note and see how that one continues to flow. Whether the bill will actually be you know, brought back, perhaps, with a few amendments here and there uh, is yet to be seen. Um, here's an interesting one, and uh, one that we always liked uh, chatting about with uh, Chris Gilmore in studio, Brexit. South Africa deciding that uh, they're almost done with their SA-UK deal uh, regarding Brexit and that South African negotiations with the UK to ensure that a trade agreement is in place in the event that exit, that uh, Britain does exit the EU without a deal is 99% done, according to Trade and Industry Director General Lionel October. That's a good thing for, from our point of view. It is. And you know, I've said to people for a long time now, I think, I think South Africa could be one of the biggest beneficiaries of uh, the UK leaving um, mm-hmm. the European Union. How so? Um, because, look, I, I can only really talk from the perspective of Scotland. I rarely see, or if ever, almost never see South African fruit in the, in the supermarkets. There. You see stuff from Portugal and Spain and yeah. Morocco and Egypt and stuff like that. But South Africa, hardly ever. I mean, you see it from time to time. Yeah. Down, in, down in, in England, you see an, an awful lot more, absolutely. So I think there are, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to uh, replace uh, a lot of the, the fruit. And by the way, you, you mustn't uh, think that the fruit that we get uh, here in, in, locally in South Africa yeah. is, is the good stuff. We get the absolute direct. Uh, you get really, really outstanding first-class uh, produce produced in South Africa, but it's all for export. So I think there's some great opportunities uh, coming South Africa's way. And Liam Fox, the the Trade Secretary, he's sitting on... (laughs) He's got no deals done so far. He's sitting on a lot of deals, and I suspect this is one of them, and they'll uh, they'll announce this after the 29th of of March. Mm. Will be an interesting one there on that front as well. So uh, it's not looking too great for Theresa May still at this point in time, so a lot of work still needs to be done there too. The China-U.S. trade talks also another factor, and something we continue to talk about, right? It just seems tiring.
Because it's the same sort of international news headlines and none of it seems to be getting sorted. It's like Groundhog Day. It know? is. You wake up and it's the yeah. same thing. Bang, you know. Uh, but there's, there seem to be some uh, instance where, where the clouds are, 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 are shifting a bit. Uh, maybe we're going to get a trade deal um, between the U.S. and China and get rid of these nonsensical tariffs that have been uh, messing things up. Uh, but, you know, you have to look, look past this, Arabili, and, and say, look, mm. where is the earnings growth in the U.S. coming from? And it isn't that apparent. You know, you, we, we are at the end of a cycle, not at the beginning of a cycle. This, mm. is an, a, this is a very, very tired bull market, if indeed it is still a bull market at all. So I think that's really what we have to, 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 to bear in mind. Mm. All right. Well, Chris Gimmel, really, really appreciate your time as usual on a Thursday unpacking that market picture for us. That does bring us, of course, to the end of the show. Just a reminder as well that it is stage two load shedding today. So please do be careful. Uh, even out on the roads, of course, those traffic lights seem to be out with this uh, wet weather out here in Johannesburg as well. Uh, just keep a look out and do plan your day as well. So we do say goodbye to Chris Gilmore, Tash. Yes, sir, and he does the honors, so it's goodbye from me. It's 8 o'clock.